The words in red are the words of Jesus. Uh, And it's helpful sometimes for us to focus on the words of Jesus Christ. And I, I tell you, as you go through different experiences, you find that hearing what He says and how it matters for where we're at, it can change how you see things. That's very much the case today. I want to read to you the words in red that are found in John chapter 11. Uh, Once I tell you that this is the story of Lazarus, you'll probably have a good idea of what that's all about. But again, I ask you, when the words in red appear, pay close attention to what the Lord is saying. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. And then she returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here and wants to see you. So, Mary immediately went to him. Now Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha had met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When they arrived and saw Jesus, she, or when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? Jesus asked them. And then they told him, well, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry. As he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, but Lord, he's he's been dead for four days. The, The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven. And he said, 
Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I have said it out loud for the sake of all the the people, these people standing here, so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! The dead man, the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him, let him go. The story, there's a lead into it, and then there are some things that come out of it that I want to reference, but you can read that for yourself in John 11 and John chapter 12. But something not only powerful and miraculous happens here, but something that has lasting significance. Why is Jesus so angry when he gets there? I mean, he knew that Lazarus was going to die. In fact, he delays his journey to Bethany knowing that Lazarus will die. He even tells his disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. Not for his own sake, but for their sake. Because after what they are about to see, he says, you will believe like never before. And many others will believe. So why is Jesus so angry? Shortest verse in the Bible is right there. Jesus wept. If you've got to memorize a Bible verse, that's the one to memorize, right? Of course, we usually reduce that down just you know, like the, the, the verse, and we have Jesus standing there so peacefully, you know, like a stone statue, a little tear rolling down his eye. Jesus wept, and then he moves on. But in fact, bracketing that notice of him weeping is the anger. The distress that he feels. How can that be? Jesus isn't supposed to be angry. He only gets angry at temples, right? I mean, how can that be? I think it's because Jesus sees all of these people that he loves very dearly and they are trapped in a culture of death and darkness. If you go back to the prelude to this story in Chapter 11 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, there are 12 hours of light in the day. And you can walk in the day, but in the darkness you stumble. They are stumbling because they live in a culture of death. Jesus delays His visit to Bethany, verse 4, so that it will be known that Jesus is not just some wonder-working healer, But he also, as it says in Revelation, has the keys to Hades. He has the authority to overcome death. The disciples, meanwhile, are worried about death threats. This is all part of their entrapment in a culture of death. We need to go to Bethany. Lord, we can't go to Bethany. They're out to get you down in Bethany. We need to stay here where it's safe. Jesus says, no, we're going to Bethany. I delayed the trip. Lazarus is sleeping, but we're going to go down there and wake him up. Once again, when you get wrapped up in the culture of death, death is something you always feel unprepared for. It's something you don't want to acknowledge, but it's something that has a grip on you when you live according to the rules of death and darkness. Mary and Martha believe it's too late to help Lazarus. In verse 21 and verse 32, they start with the if-onlys. 
Oh, if only you'd been here. Why didn't you get here? He'd still be alive. If only you had been here. And I don't know, are they giving him an excuse? Sorry you couldn't be here. I know there were all those death threats. I don't mind you not being here. Did something happen? It doesn't take that long to get to Bethany, does it? We'd hoped you might have healed him, but even still. Now there's one difference between Martha's statement and Mary's statement. And and, and if you think that Mary is always the good child, and Martha is always the one that gets it wrong. This story proves otherwise. Because Mary is the one who has all of the weeping, wailing, professional, funeral mourners, okay? I mean, these are the kind of people that sit around and trade their best recipes for, you know, funeral-covered dish. I think this one's best. Why? Because you use apples and raisins in the salad, rather than egg and mustard. That's ridiculous. Those things should never be in a salad. That's the kind of debates these people have. And then they get there and they prove just how really grief-stricken they are. They're more grief-stricken than you. But that's who they are. And Mary's got them there. And so when she goes out to meet Jesus, they all have to perk up. Oh, she's going to the tomb to weep and wail. We better join her. That's the culture of death. And Mary and Martha... Both say the same thing to Jesus. If only you had been here, my brother would have lived. But Martha says one thing different. She says, but even now, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And that keeps Jesus talking to her about what she believes. But it's all of that weeping and wailing and giving up. All of that inability to see the truth that causes Jesus to be so distressed. Oh, the mourners are in top form. You heard their statements. Oh, see how much he loves him. I really want to, I really wished we knew who that one person or those persons were. Well, you know, he could heal blind men, but I guess he can't show up in time for Lazarus. Already there's a little bit of judgment going on because Jesus didn't do things the way you're supposed to. Wonderful. Everyone around Jesus is stumbling in the darkness of a culture of death. And I think that's why Jesus waits for just the right moment to do what He's going to do. Notice that there's that dialogue that takes place between Martha and and Jesus. And Jesus asks her a question. That when she says, if only you had been here, my brother would have lived. She says, but even now, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus affirms something to her. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha tells Jesus what she has learned as a good student. Oh yes, I know. He'll rise in the resurrection along with everyone else. Lazarus will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. The resurrection. I affirm the resurrection, Jesus. I know that the resurrection is a real thing. Oh, won't it be glorious then? I I do believe she believes that. But Jesus is saying, Martha, this is more than just what we learned 
in Sunday school. This is personal. Lazarus is your brother. I said he'll rise again. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Jesus is not content to leave the resurrection as as some sort of conceptual idea off in the future. Certainly it is real, but He's also saying it's real because I am. And even in the language of this, even in the structure of Jesus' statement, He is emphasizing the words, I am. She's saying, oh, I know Jesus, resurrection. Jesus is saying, well, I am resurrection. I am life. This is real. In other words, it is personal. And, and, you know, preparing for this sermon has been personal for me, as you understand, as I'm sure the experience of losing loved ones has been personal for you. And this is when our faith in Jesus really comes up against the realities that we face. And, and, and this is when we figure out, are we trapped in the culture of death or do we know that the one who says he's the resurrection and life can handle it. Jesus is a real threat to some of these ideas that i got to admit that even I've preached and studied and thought, yeah, this is great. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong. Do you understand? I'm just saying that you need more. You've got to have more. Flowchart religion is what I'm calling this idea of being able to reduce everything down and sort of turn it into an electrical diagram. I love maps. I love maps of the London Underground, mainly because they're so neat and they're color-coded. And I tell you, the real underground doesn't look anything like that. I love electrical diagrams because they show you exactly where things are supposed to go, and they don't really look like that. But it gives you an idea. And yet we've done that sometimes with our faith. I remember when diagrams like this, well, they basically made a lot of sense to me. It was kind of a map. Body dies, spirit goes to one of two places. Then you've got the resurrection, judgment, heaven, hell. And you've got that whole waiting room. I've got to admit, I was never big on the idea of it being a waiting room because I can't stand waiting rooms. I don't know too many people who can But I know about the parable in Luke 16. And once again, I want to tell you, because I want you to hear me clearly. I'm not saying that I don't believe in any of this or I I don't accept any of this. I don't know. I've seen these charts flowed out and arranged in a lot of different ways. But what I'm telling you is this chart or any chart is no more the actual reality of the gospel, no more than map of the London underground is the real underground or an electrical diagram is a real picture of what it is. Just as when I see pictures of my family and my mother, those are pictures and they are good and I appreciate them, but they are not her. And what I love about this text that we just read is 
I don't have to have a flow chart to understand what's happening. I know a guy. I don't have to have a flow chart. I have a Savior who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Does that make sense? Are you, are you listening to me? If I've just blown up your flow chart, I'm sorry. That's not my intent. My intent is at some point when you see all of those things, and I've seen flow charts that will give you a headache, okay? And I've read all the scriptures, and I still don't get it. But at some point, I've got to say, look, is there someone who can tell me that they've got this taken care of? And there is. That would be Jesus Christ. You want me to give you another little analogy real quick? Because i, I got to know that you're paying attention to this. All right? You know that feeling you get when you get on the phone because you got to do business with someone, some company, whatever it is, somebody or something like that, and you get Robbie the Robot answering, Hello, I am here to help. I am a virtual assistant. You know that guy? you got to peg a bunch of numbers at him. You can speak to me. In English. No, you can't. I'd like to speak to an agent. Let me see. You're telling me that you're aged. No, that's not what I said. And, and, you, know, and, and, you, and you go through all this, and finally you just find yourself reduced to hitting the zero button. Operator, operator, operator. When the experience of death becomes personal, you just want to hit the operator button. You just want to know, is this taken care of? And Jesus Christ has the assurance, yes. And like he asked Martha, do you believe in this? Do you believe in me? Jesus is more than theological or doctrinal propositions. I love doctrinal propositions. I love theology. I spend a lot of time with these things. But I know that they are ways of discussing a reality that is much larger than what they represent. And to reduce Jesus, to reduce the resurrection down to a few concepts is to miss out on the one who makes it personal. It's not just personal for us, but the whole concept of the gospel, the resurrection, the whole experience of it is personal because God has chosen to reveal himself to us in a person. A person who is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the resurrection and life. I am, he says. You see? He's not saying, hey, I know a lot about the resurrection and life. He's not saying, um, hey, I got five fast facts you need to know about the resurrection and life. He's not telling us something about the resurrection in life. Are you paying attention to this? He's saying, I am the resurrection of life. Know me. Believe in me. Obey me. Follow me. And you're in the right place if you do that. You can trust. What Jesus wants all of those folks gathered there to hear is that He's the one who came from God into the world. He has this prayer, this most interesting prayer. I didn't even notice that prayer until this week. 
But Jesus has this prayer out loud where he doesn't say, Oh Lord, please give me the power to raise Lazarus. He doesn't pray a prayer that says, I'm so sorry for Mary and Martha and what they're experiencing right now. Comfort them in their time of grief. He doesn't say, Lord, if it be thy will, could Lazarus come back from the grave? No, his prayer is, Father, thank you for hearing me. You've always heard me. Because that's the kind of father you are. And, and, and Father, now, uh, you know, I, I pray that, that they, will, they will believe that, that you have sent me. I'm saying this out loud, Father. I'm saying this out loud for their sake. He says that in the prayer. So that they may believe that you have sent me. That's what Jesus wants. He has no anxiety that Lazarus will rise again. He has no anxiety that the Lord has the power. He has no anxiety that the Father will hear him. If there's anything at all he's concerned about is that they will see what's going on and they will believe that he's the one that's sent by God into the world. And you know what? Many of them do. And if you keep reading in chapter 12, you find out that Lazarus, raised from the dead, is now on a hit list. Never really noticed that before. Verse 9 of chapter 12. People are believing in Jesus because of Lazarus. Where Jesus goes, Lazarus goes. Isn't that the guy that was dead? Yes. I mean, he didn't just like pass out or clinical death on the table. No, he was in there for four days. Oh, really? You were there? Uh-huh. And I smelt it. And, it, and, and they know. I mean, I saw the whole thing. Lazarus is living proof that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And people are believing. And because of that, the ones who don't want to believe, the ones who want to maintain their place, their flowchart religions, their political religions, as the Jews say, we want to maintain our place in Rome, and we don't want them to take our nation away from us. I mean, at any point, do they stop and say, you know, you've got a guy who says he's the resurrection of life, and you've got a guy who's living because of that. Yeah, 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 well, we can't be bothered by the truth. We need to keep our agenda going. So let's kill Lazarus. Then this will all be done with. I don't want any of you to end up that hard-headed and blind and that's why I preach do you get this it's why I try to tell you these things because that would be such a shame I admit that I may not have everything it takes to do this but I can tell you this I can point you to the one who says I am the resurrection and the life I can point you to the one who says I am the way the truth and the life I can point you to the one who says, I am the gate. I am the one that no one comes to the Father except through me. And we don't come up here on a Sunday to just play church in our little you know, organized, rule-based way. Do this, do this, do this. God's happy, go home, we're fine. Do this, do this, do this. God's happy, we're fine, go home. But the things that we do are participating in the real life of the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. When we are baptized 
We are baptized into Jesus Christ. We connect to the one who raised Lazarus from out of the tomb, who said, come out here, Lazarus. We're connected to that one. He's here. He summons us. We don't summon him. When we come around the Lord's supper table, we are in the presence of the one who gave his body, whose blood seals the covenant. This is real, as real as it gets. That's what I want you to know. That's what I want you to do. Jesus says in the words in red, He says to Martha, Everyone who lives in Me, everyone who believes in Me, will never die. And keep in mind that always, this is not just at this particular, always, belief is more than just, you know, asking some question like, do you believe in UFOs? Are you hearing me? It's something more than just saying like, you know, do you believe in ghosts? Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Who cares? Well, I do think there are ghosts. Fine, they're ghosts. What is that? I, I can live the rest of my life without ever seeing a ghost. Well, there are UFOs. Oh, fine, I can live the rest of my life without seeing a UFO. Because I don't know what any of that's going to do for me. And that's not just belief, that's just do I accept it could be real. When I believe in Jesus, I am putting my full trust in Him. When I believe in Jesus, I am investing myself. I believe that He is the resurrection and life. And, there, and when there were moments when my mother passed away, and I didn't know, it's like, well, is she here? Is she there? Because her body's here. I didn't see her spirit leave. I don't know. Well, how does any of this work? And rather than try to figure it out on my own, I said, Lord, this is why I trust you. Because on that night on the church bus after VBS in 1974-75, my shy mother wandered onto that bus with her hair wet and everybody was cheering and she looked like she wanted to climb into a hole. And I thought, what on earth is going on here? It took a little teenage kid to tell me your mother made a decision to follow Jesus and she was baptized into Jesus tonight. Because when I asked my mom, Mom, why is your hair wet? She said, I'll tell you later. And she never did. Because she was embarrassed and that was her and you had to know her. But I figured it out. Over the years, I figured it out. Somewhere along the line, she knew this Jesus Christ He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the resurrection and the life. And I'm going to trust in Him. He's the one who came from God into the world. Now, I tell you that just because I want that to be your experience too. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that any who are here today will who need to know you and need to obey in you and need to trust in you, I pray that they will do so. I pray that you will provide them with counselors just like the right preacher was there, the right person was there, the right friends were there for my mom, just like they were for my dad, just like they were for me. And Father, I know that you work through all of us to take us out of a culture of death and darkness and to bring us into your eternal life so that we don't just have hope after we die we have hope today 
so that we see the world around us differently because we believe, because we trust. Father, this is my prayer. You've always listened to our prayers. This is for our sake, Lord. It's in the name of our Savior, the resurrection and life that we pray. Amen.